0: And this is the Bigger Pockets Podcast Show. What number are we at, Mindy?
1: Oh, Brandon. This <laughs> is the Bigger Pockets Podcast, Show 259. Woo!
0: Money's
2: where the volume is, and that's kind of always what I believed in. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio,
0: simplifying real estate for investors, large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. What is going on, everyone? This is Brandon, the host or co-host of the Bigger Pockets podcast today, here with my guest co-host or host, Mindy Jensen. How are you doing, Mindy?
1: I am doing wonderful, Brandon. Thank you very much. How are you doing? Man, you know what? Life is good. Christmas is
0: over now, which... You know, we were recording this before Christmas, but whatever. Man, what a stressful holiday.
1: Oh my goodness, uh, I can't believe it. <laughs>
0: Other no, random comments. Good, good, good. No, things are good. Um, If if all is scheduled to go the way I think it's supposed to go, which again, we're recording this a few weeks earlier, I should have both my apartment and my mobile home park closed here by the end of the month. So it should be like any day now. So,
1: oh, yeah. Well, that's very exciting. I'm super excited for you. We're going to have to go and take another episode to really dive deep into your investment and your experience with the 1031.
0: We will have to do that.
1: Your mobile home park. Very excited about that.
0: There you go. Well, cool. Cool. All right. Well, what you been up to? Anything fun? Anything exciting? I haven't had you on the podcast in a while, so we need an update. I
1: know. So Scott and I have started our new podcast.
0: That's right. That's coming out here in just a few days from now.
1: January 1st is our very first episode and we are getting ready to record. We've recorded several episodes already, but we were really hoping to get a first guest on, a very special first guest. And can I say who it is? I don't know. We haven't recorded it yet. I think I'm going (laughs) to tease you and say you should listen in on January 1st, Kickstart 2018 by listening to Mindy Jensen and Scott Trench interview a very special guest. Wow, that's a good tease. We're going to talk about... We're going to talk about money. We're going to talk about finances in general. One of the biggest questions that we get in the Bigger Pockets forums at biggerpockets.com slash forums is how do I get started investing with no money and bad credit? And I know you wrote the book on investing with no money, but you, Brandon Turner, Me. can invest with no money. I don't know about your credit. I'm assuming it's not terrible. It's not but I don't too wanna- shabby, you know. Uh, However, I just found out people, yesterday my,
0: my wife is beating me on credit score and that made me sad. I beat Carl. Did you? Wow.
1: I beat Carl all the time. Wow. And it was job. funny because for a while I was a stay at home mom. So I had no <laughs> income and he had an income and I have a better credit score. So I guess the the moral of that story is don't have a job. Don't have a job.
0: Yeah, there you go.
1: Yeah, that's a great idea. <laughs> no, so anyway, back to the anyway, back to the question. So you're having um, a pod-
0: launching a podcast.
1: We're launching a podcast, airs about, January 1. It about is about how to be, finances. How to because be
0: rich with money.
1: How how to be rich with money, exactly. Hmm. No, we <laughs> want to help you fix your no money and bad credit situation.
0: Is it only for people with bad credit and no money? Is it the <laughs> only people who listen <laughs> to this <laughs> um, shit?
1: <show? laughs> we know the show is for
0: everybody who wants to be smarter with money. What's the show called? Do you guys have an official name yet?
1: So around the office, <laughs> I call it the s and podcast, the Scott and Mindy podcast, but apparently that has different connotations. Yeah, you you and yeah, can't I can't it call that. it that. Yeah, um, I think it's going to be called Bigger Pockets Money, cool. but we will we'll see in a couple of days when it All comes right. out.
0: Well, when it comes out, guys, make sure you listen to it and then rate and review that show as well. We're going to launch uh, hopefully the biggest personal finance podcast on the planet. That is the goal here. So Ooh. with that, let's get into today's show. But before we do, I want to get to today's
3: quick
0: tip. All right, today's quick tip is very, very simple. Next week, like the first Wednesday in January, we're doing a special once a year webinar called How to Make 2018 Your Best Year Ever, Best Real Estate Investing Year Ever. And I'm going really going through how to make a plan for the full year, how to really kickstart your investing, how to do all that stuff. So go to biggerpockets.com slash webinar if you're watching this webinar or listening to it about the time that this comes out and sign up because it's going to be life changing. I did this a year ago. I did how to make 2017 and people like thought it was the best thing ever. So I'm going to repeat it, tweak it, change it, make it a little bit more closely related to this year, what the market is like today and how to find deals, how to fund them, how to set a plan, how to set your goals. It's going to be epic. So biggerpockets.com slash webinar.
1: That's your quick tip. And that is... Wednesday, January 3rd. That it is. 2018. What time is that, Brandon?
0: I think it's going to be at 4 p.m. Pacific time, but I might change that. So go check the, the site and go see what time it's at. I got a couple of days to yes. figure that out.
1: Okay. Biggerpockets.com slash webinar. Okay. So thank you very much, Brandon, for that quick tip. I will say that I've sat in on some of your webinars and they're, they're always really, really, really great. Thank you. You're pretty Mindy. good at what you do.
3: I'll give you your $20 later. For saying thank you. That. Yep. All right. Let's get into today's show. Again, if you're looking to get monthly passive income from an experienced team with a strong track record, go to investwithppr.com today. Are you about to sell a property? Wait like 60 seconds because this could save you thousands. Our friends at 1031 Pros have saved their clients more than half a billion dollars, with a B, in taxes with 1031 tax-deferred exchanges. With the 1031 exchange, you can say goodbye to the huge capital gains taxes when selling and roll your property's profit into another investment that could make you even more. Whether you're an individual investor, part of a larger group, or a title or real estate agent, 1031 Pros is ready to help. Trust me, I've done 1031 exchanges on multiple properties before, and it has saved me tens of thousands in taxes, if not more. With over 30 years of experience, 1031 Pros has handled over 20,000 audit free exchanges, and they specialize in all types of exchanges delayed, simultaneous, reverse. And improvement exchanges in all 50 states. And right now, Bigger Pockets listeners can get $250 off any exchange by visiting my1031Pros.com/slash BP. That's MY1031 P R O S dot com slash BP to get $250 off today. Oh, and make sure to mention Bigger Pockets when you call. They take care of our people over there. Now, without any further delay, let's bring in today's guest. Mindy, today's
0: guest is uh, somebody that you uh, have been bugging me to get on the show for a while now because you said he has the best stories of any guest we've ever had. And I don't disagree. This guy is a riot. In a lot he's of ways.
1: been investing since way before your mother was born.
0: <laughs> um, I think that's true. Yeah, he is. Uh, I can't even yeah. say
1: that he's been investing since before you were born because that's nothing. That, yeah, <laughs> um, he's been investing. That doesn't actually that doesn't accurately convey how long Mike has been investing in real estate. Mike yeah. has seen it all and done it all. He currently owns a mortgage company, and he talks about financing in this episode. He talks about general mindset, yeah. what newbies need to do to get going.
0: Yep. This is like old school advice for newer and older investors. Like it just, it's just like, how do you like, how do you condense down 60 years of real estate knowledge into one episode? Like this pretty much does it. So you guys are gonna love it. Should we yeah. Do it? This
1: is a really awesome episode. Let's bring Mike in.
0: All right. All right. Mr. Mike Anderson, welcome to the Bigger Pockets podcast. Super glad to have you here. Well, thank you for inviting me. Yeah, this should be a lot of fun. Now you came on the show because you are friends with Tim Shiner, Correct. That is correct. A very dear friend of mine. Very good. sharp man. And a very, very good episode of the show. Mindy, what number was that? Do you remember off the top of your head?
1: Uh, that was episode number 221 oh, with you. Tim Scheider, where he talked about his phrase was buy from me and tear up your lease for free. Oh, yeah. That's that,
2: right. He means that, too. And now if you buy a house from his wife, he'll tear up the lease. And, and she makes a commission on the house that she sells. So it's really a pretty good deal. I mean, it it's good for the it's good for both parties involved.
1: I have heard from so many people who have said that is such an excellent tip. And, you know, it makes sense. It's like a no-brainer once you hear it. But I don't think as many people listen to it or, like, think of that as they should.
2: Yeah, well, most people that are in this business, the investors are not being in real estate business anyway. So it's really – it's a great idea for what he does with Ritters. Tim owns a lot of uh, expensive property in a nice area in Dallas, so he he can get away with it. it has got a lot of demand for him. So they make money doing it. But I think Tim would do it just because he's a good guy. I don't think he does make money. I really believe that. That's the way Tim is. But, yeah. you know, talking about investors, one of the questions, well, you're going to ask me some questions. Maybe you want to ask those first or you want to just carry on here?
1: You just, you do what you want and I'll just jump in when I feel like it. Well, I
2: had an earlier podcast from gentlemen, gentleman and, and they were asking me about particularly novice investors or new investors in the market. One of the questions they asked me how I got into it. When I was working for my dad's company, when I was just getting out of college and it, my dad owned an appliance store company and a large parts of distributorship for Southwest and so parts and refrigeration parts. And I was, I, I had no clue. I wanted to go into real estate or anything like that. So one day a guy was in the office and uh, buying some parts from us and he said, I want to sell my house. You want to buy it? And I said, well, how much you want for it? And he said, 3250. And I said, how much down? he said, $500 what? 3250. 3, 3,
1: 30,
2: well, this was 55 years ago. <laughs>
1: okay. Okay, I'm sorry. Continue. <laughs> well, that's how long I've been doing this now. I'm sorry, but it's
2: 50- <laughs> I'll never forget the story because uh, it's a true story. Anyway, it was $3,250. He wow. wanted $500 down to $50 a month. So I bought it and I put up a rent sign and my dad's it because plenty of customers gave me and I rented a couple days time for $100 a month. And about three months later, my wife and I were building a house and we were short on budget. We went over budget. So I called a friend of mine. It was in the mortgage business. Red, Red, what was his name? I said, Red. I need to sell this house and get some cash out of it. And I said, what could this house bring? He went and looked at it. He said, it will bring $11,000. And I said, $11,000? I just paid thirty-two fifty for it? <laughs> he said, yeah. So I, I put signs up in my dad's store. And I sold it in three days' time to a couple. And I made about $8,000 on it in three months' time. <laughs> Didn't have to do any repairs or anything. I sold it at FHA. And so Mike, I got real, to
0: look at that. Real quick, can I, what would that house be worth today, do you think? What, what would you mm,
2: guess? Hundred thousand. Okay,
0: so it's like so we're talking about 55 years ago, yeah, it's so been it's all it's been a while. Yeah, right.
2: So I told my dad, I said, you know, Dad, I just made eight thousand dollars in two or three months. I didn't do any any work on it, so I started buying and selling houses two or three a month and making, you know pretty good money, $15,000 a month, 12,000 a month. And this was right after I was out of college. So I told my dad I was resigning. He said, no, you got to stay here six months because you're a valuable part of the operation. So I stayed there six months, did real estate on the side. So I was buying and selling four or five houses a month. And I learned a lot from buying and selling houses. Uh, I didn't make a lot per house. A lot of investors back then, if I could make three or $4,000 a house, that was sufficient for me. But if you're doing three or four a month or five a month. So the one thing I would tell investors is buy right. In other words, You've got to buy under under market to buy houses. I later on was buying as many as 200 homes a month. I actually had a line of of credit with FHA in Washington, D.C. for a million dollars. I could borrow a million dollars from HUD in Washington to buy their foreclosures. So it got to be a big business with me maybe three or four years after I went in the business. But what I find is, is three things about people that are buying houses. One of the things they do that I don't particularly like if they go to these seminars and they buy these books and tapes, they're yep. $1,500, $2,000 about how to make a million dollars in the real estate business with no yep. damn work. Yep. And and all those books need to say, when you open the first pages, it said, good damn luck because they ain't going to happen. <laughs> so I've been on a stage many times with people who wrote those books. They're all adept to experience doing it, but not near the experience, in my opinion, to be telling people how to make money. And they really don't tell people that what I think is the essential to make money. It's called hard work. Yeah. I can tell you that most Thank investors, <laughs> it really is, Mindy, it, it really is. It's all about hard work. So if you're the type of a passive investor that thinks you're going to go buy a house and rent it or flip it, whatever the case may be, first of all, you have to set your objectives. They're, and your objective may be two or three different things, if you're, particularly if you're looking for rental property. A lot of people are buying rental property for retirement. They want to buy a house, pay for it for 15 years. They may be 50 years old when they're retired, they retire. They want to live on the income from that, that house. Yep. Those type of people are buying more expensive homes, in my opinion, they're buying, buying homes in the three to four thousand range or whatever the case may be in your particular area. And they're in generally better school districts. That's an important thing for investors to look at what school districts in. Because school districts in the metroplex of Dallas, you can be two blocks away, in the same house, and one being one school district, it'll rent for $1,000 more, than the other one It's not in as good a school district. Wow. So I think it's very important for people to look at school districts when they're buying rental property. But there's two basic differences in rental property. There's one that's called cash flow, and that's, that's all you're buying is cash flow, and the other one's appreciation. So a guy that may be buying appreciation may have a job somewhere else, and it's a sideline for him. He's just looking for retirement. He may be making $100,000 a year, $150,000 a year. And he'll buy one of the pretty good neighborhood that may cash flow three or four hundred dollars a month, which is not enough to cover expenses by the time you do maintenance repairs, reserves for upkeep, etc. But he's breaking even on it, and his hope is that over ten or fifteen years, that house will go from say three hundred thousand to say four fifty, four twenty-five, whatever. If, depending on what the market is, he have no control over that. That's one type of investor. And in, in my opinion, those investors should look at it for 15 years because they're not looking for cash flow. They're looking for appreciation. And the, that house will be paid off. A 30-year note pays down 25% the first five years, where a 15-year note pays down 7%. So if you're buying it as an investment tool to retire on, look at a 15-year note because the payments are about 15 18% higher than a 30-year note. And the equity bill is so much better. The other side of that coin is buying for pure cash flow. And I can tell you this unequivocally, that the least expensive home you can buy is going to cash flow better. For example, I'd rather have, if, if I were going for cash flow, I'd rather have three hundred dollars homes and one $300,000 home. Because the $300,000 home will rent for 1500 a month, or a $300,000 home may rent for 2500 a month. So the cash flow is significantly different between a, a more expensive home. The more expensive homes, the less cash flow you're going to get a return on your dollar. But they have more appreciation potential. So that's what buyers need to identify going in is what their what their goal is. Because a lot of my talk to have no, well, I'm just buying real estate to make money. For what reason?
0: Yeah. Does that make any sense to you? Uh, you know, this is a big debate we hear on the side all the time about do you buy for cash flow or do we buy for, you know, appreciation? Why is somebody buying? Where where do you draw the line? Like where do you think somebody should aim for appreciation and where should somebody aim for cash flow?
2: I think the guy that aims for cash flow needs a cash to live on or is building a portfolio where the guy billing for appreciation retirement has enough income to where if he loses three or four dollars a month on a house, it's not going to set him back any at all. So they're two entirely different products. And that's what, what these investors don't do, in my opinion, is to identify what their goal is. Yep. I mean, how, how are you going to buy real estate if you don't know what your goal is keep it, flip it, you know, buy it, sell it. Now flip it house, that's an entirely different situation. But I can tell you that in my opinion, it's not an opinion, it's fact as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm, I'm highly opinionated, but I, and I highly believe my own opinion. Uh, <laughs> just because I've had a lot of experience doing this, I've never made any money the easy way. I can tell you a story, and this happened when I was about 25 years old, so it was 49 years ago. I used to keep a book, and I, when I was driving down the streets so and I saw some houses, I thought either a 4 owner or house that was deserted. I'd go back up and look at up map, map and plats and find out who the owner was, call them on the phone and go, My name is Mike Anderson. Are you interested in selling your house? Yes, I am. How much do you want for it? And we try to make a deal, and most of them would hang up on me because I was trying to see their homes. Yep. You know, And that's that's true. I'd never told anybody they were getting a good deal because they wouldn't get a good deal. Anyway, I was driving down the street when I was about 25 years old, and I saw eight homes on the same, same street, and that one of them had a rental sign on it. So I went back to my office, and I called, and the name, name was uh, Evelyn Sibley. I'll never forget it. She lived in waukes Texas, a little suburb of Dallas. And these houses were worth about 18000 I called her on the phone Miss Ms. Sibley, I'm a real estate investor. I'm interested in buying your rental homes. Are you interested in selling? Them? She said, "Yeah, I think about selling them." How much you give me for them? And I said, "I'll give you sixty-four thousand cash for all four, eight of them." And she went off on me like, I mean, she went. to. She said, "You call me a thief, a crook, <laughs> every kind of name in the book." Cussed me out and said, "I would never deal with you. You're a damn crook," and slammed the phone down on me. And so I, I was thinking, she was telling the truth. I was trying to steal her home. So what? Why would I be upset with her? I wasn't. <laughs> so anyway, I had this little book. I. The green book, uh, a, a spiral notebook, and I brought a million dollars on the outside, but I wouldn't get rid of that book until I made a million dollars. So these people I'd call over the years, I'd put in this book and i called call them every Friday afternoon because you never know, you know, if you catch somebody who wants to sell or doesn't want to sell. So every year for three or four years, I'm not kidding you, it actually took me five years. I called her on the phone every Friday afternoon. It was about a 10-second conversation. I'd say, Miss Simi, this is Mike Anderson. She'd go, you're the quickest trying to steal my home zone Ever never call me again <laughs> and slam the phone down. After about two or three years, so it'll a true story. After about two or three years, my staff would go, Mike, what is wrong with you? That lady's never going to see how i will go. It, it takes 10 seconds a week. Who cares? Yeah. It's not bothering me. I don't have anything to do on Friday afternoon. Friday were slow in the real estate business. So one Friday after five years, I called her on the phone and she was crying. And I said, Miss Sibley, what is wrong with you? And she said, Oh, I was up collecting my rent today and, some guy stuck up behind me and hit me in the head with a pipe and took my personal all my money in it. Took my drove off in my new car like I don't know what I'm going to do. And I said, oh, Miss Sibley, I'm so sorry. Would you like to sell your house? He said, yes, I want to sell it. <laughs> I drove down there that night, 30 miles, at 6 <laughs> o'clock at night, signed a contract. I made $80,000, and that was 49 years ago, so figure it out. What I'm saying <laughs> is perseverance, which people don't have the perseverance to do what I'm talking about doing. But if you want to make any money, you can be up. A buy, look, I call them players and non-players. You can be what I call a non-player, which is kind of play on the sidelines and never get in the game, or you can get in the game. If you're going to get in the game, I'm telling you right now, if you listen to this pod- podcast, it takes a lot of hard work and a lot of luck on top of it and a lot of ethics. You don't need a lot of people. You know, if you're trying to buy a house from somebody on a wholesale level and they go, well, you're trying to sell them. i just go, yeah, I am, but I've got to pay sales expense. I've got to pay holding costs. I've got to pay insurance. i got to pay taxes. I've got to fix it up. And I'm going to make a reasonable profit. People understand that. But if you tell somebody, oh, I'm paying retail for it, they know damn well you're not
0: doing it. So why? (laughs) that? I like that phrase. I need to make a reasonable profit. I mean, nobody's going to argue with that. That's what every business does. They
2: they really do. So, and these books that people read, I actually went to a big CBS. And that's when I was on stage with Robert Kiyosaki and some other well-known speakers from New York and other places. And most of these guys were selling their books and tapes and everything. And, I was the last speaker up, and, and most of the audience was here in Dallas, and they knew me because I had a radio program on CBS for 16 years. Oh,
0: wow. So they
2: really wanted to hear what I said. And the, when I got up there, I said, "Look, I wrote this book, and I'm telling you, for seventeen hundred fifty dollars, it'll be the best book you've ever read in your life. It says how to make a million dollars in two weeks time in the real estate business." And I could see all of them going, "Oh my God, <laughs> he's going to try to sell us another book to pay back No. And I said, here's, here's, it's easy as hell to read. I opened up the book and it had one page in there. It said, good fucking luck. <laughs> it ain't going to happen. It ain't going to happen. So I, I'm not a big believer in, in buying those books and tapes because I think yep. you have to get down and, and really dig in the dirt. It's kind of like going to war, going to boot camps, different than going to war where they're shooting live bullets at you. So it, I'm just telling you, I, I can't emphasize how much time it takes to, to work on deals and don't be scared to make offers. I know I wasn't ever scared about making an offer. I wouldn't, I didn't care if I insulted somebody. I didn't like to insult them, but generally speaking, a bet can gonna insult somebody.
0: You know, I, I ask people this all the time. Newbies come up to me and they say, I can't find any deals. The first question I always ask them is how many offers did you made last week? And what's the answer always? None. Because people are so afraid oh, to that, go and make an offer.
2: I was gonna talk about that. Yep. You know, find a realtor you can trust that, that knows the market that sits not in for the commission. I've always, that I work on the commission for the most part. And I've always told them, every loan officer works for me and everybody else, don't worry about commissions, worry about your customers. If you care about your cu- customers, commissions will take care of So I, oh. I interviewed some some real estate agents and found out who got their act together, who knows what you're talking about. And in Texas, I don't know about the rest of the states, but you can make an offer on a house without even looking at it. So it wasn't uncommon for me to put an officer on a house i would never looked at, I'd look through MLS, and I'd look for houses that need repairs. Because a, a house in tip-top shape is going to bring tip-top dollar. Yep. And repairs didn't bother me. So that's one thing investors don't don't. You want to look at how has been on the market for four or five months and haven't moved. The price has gone down steadily on and, and the people are tired of showing it. They, they want to get their money out of it. A lot of cases. So make them an offer, you know, and, and my rule of thumb was if I couldn't buy for 75% of market value, in other words, let's say a house is a hundred thousand dollars. I might pay $75,000 for that house, and I would deduct my closing costs on it, which would be maybe 3%. And I'd also deduct the repairs. If I figured the repairs were $12,000 on it, I'd deduct $15,000. So I'd take the the $15,000 for repairs, the 25000 off the top of it, and $3,000 closing costs. I'd make an offer of $62,000. If they took it, fine. If they didn't, they may counter with 64000 Then you make it for mine. But don't get caught up in this trap. Well, I'm going to get this bidding war with somebody else. Make your mind up what you're going to pay for it. And don't go over that. So maybe my, I
0: was going to say how many? How many? What? What do you think percentage wise you get rejected? Like over your, your years? Like do you think you lose? You know, you lose half, three quarters, ninety percent?
1: How many no,
2: rejections? 80 percent.
0: Okay. Yeah.
1: Okay, but, but I'm but jumping in th- here. Okay. I got a, I got like 19 things to say because you just keep talking. I'm like, wait, wait, wait. I got my question about this too. I told you about that. Didn't you, I warn you You said you liked the money. You did. Money. <laughs> Take a breath. Sit back. Okay, so <laughs> I, mean. I want to say you had. Uh, oh, call them every Friday. I'm looking. My notes got all whopped up because I made a note someplace else. You said call them every Friday. You got your little book. We call that driving for dollars when you drive around and you see houses. Right. Dialing for dollars. Well, first you have to drive for them or walk for them. And then you come home and you look up where they are. You called them every Friday. I am in the Bigger Pockets forums all day, every day. And I see people all the time. Oh, how often should I send a letter? I sent one once. Okay. And you got a 0% response. That's because you're not being consistent. When somebody gets ready to sell, Evelyn got ready to sell to you. You called her right when she was ready to sell.
2: I called her at the moment when she needed to sell. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: So you, but, that's but not going to happen point. if you do it every six months.
2: The the point of the matter, it didn't take any time. Yeah. I mean, it took me, you know, 15, 20 seconds. And, and let me say something else. This is one of my pet fees. I am so damn tired of people thinking that, that iPhones, I don't even have an iPhone, nor do I want one. <laughs> I don't text. I don't need to text. You see a computer on my desk? I don't have one. I don't use a computer. I have three assistants that, that send out texts for me occasionally, maybe once or twice a day. I do probably eight or 10 emails a day, but I pick up my phone and call people on the phone. It's not, it doesn't cause cancer to call people on the phone.
0: <laughs> but it's scary, you Mike. Know? It's scary. I'm a, I'm a millennial oh, I'm and I they can't they handle it. What
2: if <laughs> they say no? I can't tell you what to do. So what? <laughs> I
1: mean, what if they say no? What if they don't like my offer, Mike?
2: Well, I'd I say I'll find another person. that likes. My offer. <laughs> You'll find them. I mean, you know, when you talk about how many offers I made on houses, it really, when you think about offering maybe 100 contracts a month and you need to look at the house and what it takes, what my secretary five minutes type up a contract and send it out, it's got a, a, a option period in there where I can back out of it any time in 15 days. And yeah. if I got to happen to get one, because I wasn't going to waste my time. Let me tell you, time is of the essence to me. Always has been and always will be. I'm not going to waste my time driving out to somebody that I got a 5% chance of buying it. Yep. I'd rather shoot them an offer. At my price, and if they accept the offer, then I'll get off butt and go out there and look at it, and, and do a takeoff on it. And if I don't like the outside, just back out of the contract and lose my option fee of hundred bucks or two hundred dollars. But I don't waste a lot of time doing it. And it's a numbers game. It's like why why do you take a uh, shotgun when you're going bird hunting? Yeah. Instead of a pistol, because you got a lot, a lot more shots at it. Yep. So just <laughs> fire at them. I'm serious. Just fire at them and people are not going to be upset about it and the realtor will turn those contracts like crazy and particularly if you're buying a few houses you may cut your deal on pay part of your closing costs or maybe cut the commission if he's doing any volume with you but even then the realtor's not overpaid i can tell you that in my opinion most of them aren't they work hard and for them to make three percent particularly on on what depending on what product you make they deserve but any any break you can get to save you money that's money in your pocket you know so that's the way i look at it
0: yeah i love that but i love that You know, I like, I like like the, I like the mentality that you come at this. And cause, you know, I I teach this online class every week to people and my message is almost always the exact same. It's like your job as an investor is not to go out and convince every single person to sell you a house. Your job is to simply follow a process. That is, you get leads, you go out and figure out what number makes sense, like you talked about, and then you go and make an offer. And if they take it, great. If not, move on to the next one. Like this is largely a a numbers game. And today's bargain. You should be able to, as an investor, to
2: make ten thousand dollars on a house. That's after everything's said and done. On a so flip, when or you really talking about a rental. Flip, y- okay, yep, not rental. Sure, flip, flip market. I'm talking about purely flip there. Sure, if you can't make eight or ten thousand dollars a house, pass it. Yep. It's If there's too many things, that, I, I can tell you that ninety percent of the investors that start remodeling homes spend more money than they thought they were going to spend. Yeah,
1: I go a little bit higher. I say a hundred percent of investors remodeling
2: homes. Investors. They always absolutely think they're going to get top of market. Yep. They also absolutely think it's going to put sell on the first day it, it comes on the market. It just doesn't happen. Yeah. You know, in the hot markets down in Dallas Metroplex, the hot market, it's not unusual for a house to have 15 contracts in one day's time. I'm not kidding you. If it's priced right. Yep. Those are in tip-top shape. So that's why I tell investors find one with a little repairs, find one with a little that needs with a little lipstick on it yep. to make it look pretty, and get out there and clean it up and make the drive up appeal pretty good, and you can sell them. But if you look at it this way, if you can make eight or ten thousand dollars a house net, I'm talking about after all expenses, commissions, holding costs, taxes, insurance, sold, ball of wax. It's a pretty good living if you do that once a month. It's ninety six thousand dollars a year. If you do it twice a month, it's hundred and ninety-two thousand a year. Yeah. So that's like walk walking science should figure it out. But you're not gonna find them sitting on your butt. They don't I don't I've never gotten a letter in the mail I can think of. You want to buy my house? Every house I've ever <laughs> bought, I went after and
1: how about you, Brandon? I, that's, I'm I, the same with Mike. You know, I've never gotten yep, a letter that never, said, hey, Mindy, I think you might want to buy my house.
0: Yep, never have. You know, every deal I've ever got. That's why, like, you know, another thing we, we talk a lot, a lot of here at BEP is, like, back in 2008 and 9, you could find good deals. Today, you can't find them. You have to make good deals. You have to go out there and hunt for good deals. They don't walk on your doorstep. Well, you
2: know, these, these quote, wholesalers yep. that, are, that are buying houses, and they, <laughs> they do a lot of advertising and they have phone banks and yeah, uh, all that sort of thing call all around. They'll send you a deal that says, Look, you can buy this house, the ARV, the retail value, but it's $280,000. Yep. You can buy it from us for $150,000 and the repairs are $50,000. You can sell it for $80,000 and by the time you come out of it, you'll make $30,000 profit. When you really bore down to it, it's like the, it's like the two minute warning in football. It's a lie. First of all, <laughs> it's true. First of all, the ABR, the, the, the evaluation they give you, very top of market. I'm talking about stuff in tip-top shape. Yep. And so it may be worth, what well, they're saying, 280 It may be worth two sixty truly. truly.
3: Yep.
2: Also, they say the repairs are forty or $50,000. Truly, they're like 65000 or $70,000. Yep. So, and they get these knobs investors to believe all this BS. And they buy these houses. and They make $5,000 of them or can't sell them quick or whatever. And it's too much work and everything. And they get bored with it. Run your numbers yourself. You know, don't believe yep. what a realtor is telling you. Call another realtor and say, I want to know if I put this in this house, what it'll sell for within 30 days. Not six bucks or a year on the market to find that kind of one buyer that wants that particular house. Whatever repairs they're telling you about, look at those closely because I don't believe half. I, in fact, I've seen a lot of them. I used to buy a house from them. I just quit buying them because all their numbers are just a joke. Yep. yep.
0: Yeah, I would yep, say nine times out of ten, the wholesale deals that I see – are just, I I laugh at them. I'm like, there's just, you don't even know your market. So maybe, can you talk to those people right now that are listening that are wholesalers or they're trying to be wholesalers? How can they get better at getting those numbers correct? Get your numbers right. How do, how do they do be that? Be honest with me. I mean, it, it, instead
2: of people selling people, you're gonna make $35,000 on this house, tell them you're gonna make $10,000. But you're right, Brandon. In Dallas, and I, I think it's around the country, affordable housing is is short supply everywhere. Yeah. So there is not many flip houses around that are worth a damn. It, it's hard to find you. That's why you got to dig them out.
0: Yep.
2: They they really are hard as hell to find. I know investors, and it, and I know people that make what they call a predatory lending money. You know, where they loan investors twelve, oh, yeah. fifteen percent, yep. hard money five lenders. points. Yep. Yeah, they can't find enough buyers for them right now. There yep. there's too many. There's not, there's not enough product on the market, and that, that I'm sure that it's, that's way in Colorado, back in Denver and the surrounding areas, the market's on fire like it is in Dallas. So it's hard to find deals, but they're out there. You just got to find them. But look for ones, honest to God, that need a lot of repairs. I'd rather buy a house that need $50,000 worth of work than one that would need a paint job.
0: Yeah, the more the more work so that a project needs, yeah, the fewer people are interested. But also, there's that's like the, exactly. the, yeah, the law of like – I know, we should like make a law for this, like the law of smelly houses, like the more smelly it is, the fewer people want to buy it. Like, I, I love buying smelly houses because everyone's afraid of them. But usually, I it's do just, yeah, it's, it's usually a paint job or replace. Well, the carpet. you know,
2: I just think that the wholesalers, you want to call them the people that are flipping these houses for three to five thousand dollars or ten thousand dollars. You really don't know what they're making on them. They're yeah. making pretty good money to do what they're doing. But I just don't believe a lot of the stuff they do. at least in Dallas. I can't I can't tell you about what's going on in Colorado, but in, here they're 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 giving you the high sale, the lowest a pair deal, and it's somewhere in between is the truth.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's it's hard to and yeah. I, you know, you said it best a minute ago. You always have to do your own numbers. Like, don't trust your your agent to do them. Don't trust the wholesaler to do it. Don't trust the turnkey company or your mom to do it. Don't trust Mindy to do it. Or don't trust Mike or Brandon. Right? Like, do your own math. Like, everyone, I don't know, people want to take the easy way out, and they just want somebody to give them a nice deal on a plate, and then that's that book I was, I was telling you about. Good luck. <laughs> yeah,
1: good luck. You know,
2: okay, this isn't going to happen. You know, and another thing I find investors, they really don't know much about financing these houses. I know that a lot of people in Dallas go to these predatory lenders like you're talking about uh, that charge 12%, 13 14%, 4 or 5 points, and they're easy to deal with. They don't have you have to go through a lot of application. They're just looking at a loan to value, what you're putting down on it, that sort of thing, they're making a loan based on that. Yep. When the reality of it is, if you're paying someone, let's say 12 or 13%, and 4 or 5 points, and that note's only good for six months, and they renew it every six months from one point, which is what they typically do in Dallas, then they're making as much money as you are. Yep. And so a lot of these investors, if you got good credit and a viable income, in other words, you report some taxes. And most investors that are buying and selling houses don't report anything for income, and their credit's always screwed up. I never have figured that out, but this is the way it is. But for the ones out there that have good credit, that have a, a job, why go to a hard money lender? Go to a bank. I mean, go to a local banking, borrow money for 15%, 20% down at, at a, maybe rate right, a 5.5% with one point. Why would you pay somebody like that? Because you're just damn lazy, I guess. I don't know why <laughs> that is. We, but, but we, I do a, <laughs> I'm serious. And and they're intimidated by going to a bank for whatever reason. I'm not at all. Uh, I can tell you that that I have substantially of credit to do real estate loans, a lot. Yeah. And I've, I'm constantly looking at new banks. And I don't deal with the major banks. I don't deal with the... In, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, Chase, any of the big ones, not because I don't like them. I think they're great banks. I have no problem with them. But you're just a name a number there. Yep. And a small local bank is, it generally got is to more uh, invest more in the community. They're more personalized. So go to a, a bank, and you'd be surprised if one bank tells you no. That doesn't mean another bank's going to tell you no. Because banks have what they call buckets. For example, if you go to a local bank in Denver, let's say, and they may have 20% of their total assets in spec homes, bill jobs, another 20% business loans, another 20% car loans, another 20% home improvement loans. Well, the government would not want you to have your bucket all filled with a certain type of loan. They think there's too much risk. So Bank A may have their bucket full of real estate loans, and they don't want to make them, so they say, we're not doing that right now. Bank B may not have their bucket full, so don't give up. It's just it's just constant follow-up, communication, yeah. picking up the phone, going to see them personally. Emailing is fine and dandy, but I don't do it. I trust me, if I needed money today, there's probably twenty-five new bags within two miles of my office right now. You know how I'd do if I if I couldn't find a bag and make me alone? Not I'd everyone. go to all twenty-five of those damn one of them. And 200. I guarantee it, I walk out with two or three of them said, I want to make you alone. Yep. I promise you that would happen.
0: You know, like we get so, that we get that uh, pattern on the podcast here all the time. We've been doing 250 of these shows now, over over 250 of them. And I probably heard that like a, dozens of times about if your bank turns you down, just go to the next one and then go to the next one. And that like ever, like it works. Like it, it clearly works. It's just, people are like, no, it's the bank's really, said no. It really no. does. Yeah. And I'm a, I'm not bragging. I've got pretty strong
2: financial savings and good income and good credit. And I don't go to banks and try to borrow money. If, if I think it's a bad deal, Yeah, but they may think it's a bad deal for whatever reason. They may, they may, I mean, if I had banks turn down low because they made a loan on the street 19 years ago and it went in bankruptcy a house, I go, what the hell does that have to do with the day? But I remember I go, okay, I'm out of here. You know, I'm just saying that that don't give up. It, it's that same thing I was talking about, perseverance and going after something you want. And if you want it bad enough, you know, I don't care if five banks tell me, you know, the first five banks I go into, I'm not giving up. I, I will say this. If I wanted a job today, I'd go down there and talk to him in person. I, you know, the first thing I'd say, I need your help. I want I want this job. I'll work my butt off. I'm honest. I'll be your hardest worker. In fact, I'll work here for free for a week. If you'll hire me, give me a shot. Now, how many people think aren't going to take off on that? Instead of coming in, I'll ask you a resume. And if you ever read a resume, if you ever seen a resume that said, I'm a turd, I'm not going to work hard, and I'm going to <laughs> no. over, They all say the same thing. I have no. the greatest thing. It's a joke. It's That's a how joke.
1: Scott got his job here, Brandon.
2: <laughs> Scott just, just, he was, yep,
0: <laughs> wrote, I'm a big turd right on the,
1: no, not. no. No. No, 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 say, no.
2: You know, give give me an educated worker, but give me a worker over education. I'll take a worker every time over somebody's got an education doesn't want to work.
0: Well, Mike, I'm guessing it's you've hands down. You've probably hired a lot of people in your day, I'm assuming, like over the over the last, you know, whatever, fifty, some years of investing. That's do you have any out. do you have any tips on I mean, how do you find that good person? How do you like this is something I struggle with? Is how do I find I mean everyone Luck. sounds good, right? Luck, yeah.
2: <laughs> well, you know, Let's talk about Cody, one of my assistants who's doing real well. He came to work with me five years ago. And one of the things I looked at when he came here, because he, he went to work for $10 an hour, and trust me, he's making lots of money right now. Just bought a $400,000 home, about to get married. Great life, money in the bank, good credit, a, a good kid. But one thing Cody likes is to make money, and he doesn't mind working for it. You know, So I look for that trade, but the one trade I look at, well, if, I'm, if I'm looking at a, a college graduate, they work through college. Did they have a damn part-time job where they just go to school and never work a day in their life? So I would prefer somebody that went to a less expensive college that actually had to work and knows what work is all about than hire somebody with a degree that never never has a clue what work is all about.
0: I've never heard that in my life, but I love that. I love that tip.
1: I really love that.
0: Yeah,
2: You know, the world's greatest guy told me one time, a guy named W.L. Moody out of D'Alverson. He and a guy named Jay Paul Gay Rich guys, and he wanted me to go to work for his insurance company. I wouldn't do it. I said, I want to do my own deal. Plus, I didn't believe in insurance. And he said, what do you want to do? I said, I want to own my own business. So I, for the for something like 65 years, I've owned my own business or run my own company. I couldn't work for anybody. They'd fire me in a New York minute. <laughs> they would. I go, what do you mean we can't buy a computer? We need a computer. Well, we need to send it up for acquisition. We're going to take bids on it, and we'll get you a computer in three or four weeks. I go, Y'all are nuts, Yep, nuts, you know? <laughs> so I believe in moving to moving swiftly and and, and taking uh, action. I think you should hire smart, but you should, you, if an employee's not working for you, get rid of them quick. Yeah. You know, I mean, Brandon, come on, y'all know, and, and Mindy, you all know in two weeks time if they're going to work out or not. You just know it. Yeah, that's true. If they're, they're, not, if they're not working out, just let them go and say, look, you, we think you're better off somewhere else. You're just not a fit for us. I thank you for coming to work for us, but we didn't need a split company. And let them Brandon,
1: go. Brandon, <laughs> yes, after yes, this indeed. show, we're gonna have to have a talk. <laughs> we're gonna
0: have a
2: conversation. Okay, good. <laughs> but the world's richest guy told me there's three things about that you had that make a success. He would never hire a good loser. He would never hire somebody that didn't believe in God. He would never have hire anybody who didn't have a big sex draft. And all he's <laughs> saying, pretty- Oh,
1: that that came out of nowhere.
2: <laughs> okay, let's hear it. Let's hear it. And I'm talking about the world's richest guy. And I said, explain to me what every one of me said, Mike, if you ever deal with a, a loser that doesn't mind losing, he's a loser, don't hire him, particularly in the executive position. Makes and he sense. said, if you don't believe in God, he said, it doesn't have to be the God you believe in. It has to be some superior being of some sort. It could be the sun, the moon. It could be the earth. It could be any kind of God. But people have to find something to fall back on in times of peril. I mean, the first thing people say when they're about to have a cardiac is thank God. You know, they need to believe in something bigger than themselves. And the third thing is sex drive, and he said, I'm not talking about going out and chasing women. Just have that drive to achieve and get what you want ahead. And he said, I call it sex drive. And he was the world's richest guy on the corporation when he died. So <laughs> he can call it what he wants. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he couldn't talk me into coming work for his company because I didn't like I I didn't like the, what they were doing. Although that it was a legitimate business. I don't mean it that way. I just yeah. I just didn't see myself selling insurance.
0: What did you say that guy's I name was to, what was it Blue? Okay. Moody
2: Jay- the Moody foundation is bigger than a Ford foundation the Ford right. Motor Company foundation crazy Moody's ODY
1: okay
0: crazy all right so let's let's re kind of sum up where we're at so far so can you give me like a because we usually do the beginning of this show but we just kind of skipped over it. like what do you do in real estate today I mean like what what have you done the last 60 years I mean you've done a lot but can you give a broad overview of the last 60 years of your real estate
2: I can't answer that question. I don't know what I do. I just, <laughs> I just to get some water, Some of it sticks. Now I'll tell you what I do in a minute. But one last thing I'm going to say about sure. financing for Please. investors: go to a local bank rather than a hard money lender. You may have to go to a hard money in there until you get a track record. Don't let that stop you. But go to a bank. Second of all, Fannie and Freddie will only finance ten homes for you at a time. Yep. And they count your homestead as one of them. They count a duplex as two units and a fourplex as four units. And so any one investor we sell off notes to is not going to take more than three or four. Years. Rental properties from one one customer, so you may have to find two or three mortgage companies to you up to ten. When you get up ten property, you can't buy them anymore, no matter what you want to pay down. In fact, VA and, and FHA don't even make investment loans. It's only Fannie and Freddie, and they want twenty percent down. Generally, twenty five percent down is going to get you a better rate of interest and better scores. And that rates are higher. So, what a lot of people do when they start out in this business, they'll buy a smaller home to live in, say a one hundred fifty thousand dollar home. Live in it six months, get it repaired or whatever they're going to do to it. Rent it for enough cash flow to make the payments and cover expenses. Then they'll buy a little bigger home as an owner occupied home. The the reason you do that quite frankly is because the down payments lower anywhere from three and a half to 5% down instead of 20% down, the rates are lower. And as long as your intent is to live in that house, that's what the law says you intend to occupy it. So moving into an occupied and then to start moving up the ladder. That's the way a lot of investors build their portfolio. Yeah. that That was my
0: first few houses the same way. That's yeah, how I a, did it. It's not illegal.
2: Yeah. It, it really is illegal. So it's 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 a, a ploy to make. But once you get eight or ten homes, then you find that that people don't even want to talk to you because you got too many rental properties. So why not take those properties to a bank and bank them? I know, for example, I do a lot of investor loans here in Dallas. Where he had about twenty five homes, thirty homes spread out. With I don't have any indifferent investors, paying anywhere from four and a half to six percent rate, seven percent rate. And I said, you got. Two million dollars, three million dollars for the property here just in this bundle. Why don't you go borrow two million dollars on them, pay off the million dollars you want them, give you a line of credit for a million dollars and you got one loan, not twenty loans or twenty five loans, and you can buy other houses down the road. So he listened to me and I got him a, a two million dollar line. That's awesome. and here's what it did for him. He found a house, because you and I both know, Mandy, you know and Brandon, you know, that when you're buying a house, the quicker you can close it and if you can pay cash for it, the better deal you're gonna yes. get. So he had an open line of credit where he could go to Las Vegas and write a check if he wanted to because he had collateral behind the note. It was a pretty strong investor, so he got a, we got him a $2 million line or whatever that line was, and he had available a million dollars. So if he wanted to buy a house, he could say, as soon as you get the title in the two days' time, I'll write a check for him. Yep. It made a big difference in what he could buy. So if you've got that many houses, you want to continue buying them, take them to a bank. If they're cash flowing and make any sense, a bank will finance all ten of them and put them on one note. You're not going to get as good a rate as long-term, 30-year fixed note. But you'll get a rate. It'll give you a lot of times. They'll give you money, excess money, and they might own you at seventy-five to eighty percent of the appraised value, particularly if they're cash flowing. So you may have two million dollars worth of real estate, or a million dollars, or a five hundred thousand, and maybe get another hundred thousand dollars. Go ahead and put it in, in another property.
0: That's so interesting. I, yeah, you know, on, the, on that note, this gets a little bit into the weeds a little bit, but uh, I learned something interesting. So I'm working through a refinance right now, trying to get a conventional loan and and they only let you have 10. And so like, you know, 10 residential. So I was like working things, selling some properties out. But anyway, in that process, I because I really wanted to get a conventional on these last couple uh, single families that I was trying to refi. Anyway, so I learned that it, and again, I'm not a lender person. So if you are listening to this, don't take this as like gospel truth, but this is what I learned and what I read is that they don't count it as a, one of your ten if it is a a loan to your LLC and it's a commercial loan to your LL, like it to an LLC that owns the property versus your own. So what I did is I went to my lender and I am I turned that loan into a Commercial loan to my LLC, basically, uh, and it that was through a bank. It was a, it was actually through a private lender, and so originally it was through my own okay, name. yeah, you could do then, that because le- lenders, correct. quite
2: frankly, on the property would rather
0: make it to an LLC. Yes,
2: and for, for a lot of reasons, it, first of all, it doesn't they, they, they your homestead, and homesteads in a lot of states are hard to foreclose. Yep. They'd rather make a loan a commercial property, and and second, because the Dodd Frank Act doesn't say you have to make income to qualify for an investor property. It's only the, the ability to repay has to be for your homestead or second home. So you, you you could, no matter what you're doing on a rental property, they don't have to verify your income. But that's the sort of thing. Fannie and Freddie won't do LLCs anymore, family yep. trusts anymore, limited partnerships. Now, what people do, if they want to buy a house like that, put an LLC or a family trust later on down the road, they buy it, finance it under Fannie or Freddie, as long as they're not over 10 properties. Then they'll deed it to their LLC or their company. Yep. The, trust or whatever, three weeks later. And I, the, the notes are due on sale, but I've never seen one called. I've been doing this for a long time. As long as you're paying the mortgage, they don't care what name it's in. Yep. Okay. I was
1: going to ask about that because that is also another topic that comes up frequently in the forums is I want to buy this and I can't get a financed through my own self or through my LLC. So I want to buy it as myself and then transfer That's it right. over. And there's a lot of discussion about, are they going to call the note due or not? Well, let me ask you a question, Mindy. Yes.
2: Let's say the speed limit in your area is 35 miles an hour.
1: Yes, I would never ever
2: go above the speed limit, Mike. I know that, but if you were going 35.1, what's what's a possibility of you getting a ticket and going to jail? Probably zero percent. Very well.
1: If they pull me over,
2: because all these notes, no, they're not going to do that. Seriously, (laughs) all these notes. I don't know. You seen Mindy's car? It's (laughs) the notes will say if you transfer a title, the notes do in full. However, I've been doing this for. 35 years, and I've never seen it happen. The lenders don't give a damn. It, it's a big misnomer. A lot of people say they just want to foreclose that to make the money. That's BS. I've never known a lender in my life that wanted to to a piece of property that would, would rather get paid on it than foreclose it. You know, so the chances of them ever saying anything, if you transfer it to LLC, all right, is almost nil that, that they're going to say anything. If they do, just right. them, say, look, it's in my family trust. I'm on the note. I'm personally liable on the note and i don't think i don't i i think it's risk free there yeah. is risk gets. it's like the same example i gave you going 35.1 in a 30 mile, 5 an hour zone you could get a ticket you could go to jail but the odds of that happening are one in a <laughs> trillion i don't know what they are yeah. That's what i
0: you know, yeah, I've heard, I've only heard of one investor ever and it was on a larger multifamily where he deeded it something, you, know, you transferred it something different. He got a letter from the bank and he just went and transferred it back and they were like, okay, no problem. Like, but it was like a bigger transaction that they, I think they wanted him to like force him to refinance with them or something. Anyway, that was the only time I've ever heard of it, but I do that. I transfer my properties. And again, I'm not giving legal or tax advice here, but I typically will buy no, it awesome. my personal name. Yep. And I will then transfer it into my LLC. Well, technically,
2: technically, you're not supposed to do it, but technically
0: you're not supposed to go 35 exactly, or yep. So What I, the hell? Yep. I, I do it. <laughs> and, and I also- I, I, Maybe put it this way. I take the risk. I do I've too. Well, so I okay. take the risk. I also make sure that I have equity. Like I always look at it this way. If, if ever the worst thing happened and the bank did freak out about it, I've got equity in every property that I buy. Cause I like to buy good deals. I buy fixer uppers, just like you mentioned earlier. So that if ever the worst case scenario happened and the bank freaked out about it and you know, at least I can fall back on, okay, well I could sell it if I had to, or refinance it or go to a private lender or go to a hard money lender or go to a credit, you know, line. I've got options, you know, equity gives you options.
2: See, and, and that's another thing that has to be about mortgage companies. Most mortgage companies don't have all the outlets, and they're, they're, they're hard to find. Yeah. But unless you fit in a, in a little box, they don't want to screw with it. If, you know, if you do the credit score is not so-and-so, if the LTV is not so-and-so, and I'm saying there's a seat for every butt. You know, so there there are insurance companies that carry those notes. There are all kinds of companies that carry those notes. The rates may be a little higher. They may be 6.5%. as versus 45 or 5%. But, you know, it all depends on what you're trying to do. I, I, I would always tell your, your people out there listening to this podcast to get the best rate with the least amount of cost you can. But if that doesn't work, go to plan B. It may not be the best rate, but at least you're getting in a property that you wouldn't otherwise have unless you go to alternative financing.
0: Yeah. yeah you That's why
2: I think that you need to have a mortgage company, any mortgage company that has more than one outlet for product. You know, ask your loan officer, can you go to a bank if I can't get this done? Can you make a loan to an LLC if I can't get this done? Do you sell off paper to insurance companies? If not, they can call me on the phone. I'll tell you, insurance companies buy stuff nationwide
3: at, at a reasonable rate. Yep. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago before I ever started my real estate business, Trade catchy jingles for cash flow with insurance made for investors. Visit enreg.com slash bppod to request a proposal. N-R-E-I-G dot slash B-P-P-O-D. Want to dive deep into commercial real estate, entrepreneurship, leadership, and the economy? Tune into the Walker webcast hosted by the CEO of Walker & Dunlop, one of the largest commercial real estate finance and advisory services firms in the nation. As an unparalleled leader in commercial real estate, CEO Willie Walker frequently appears as an expert on major platforms like CNBC and the New York Times. He's even been on the Bigger Pockets podcast network, too. On the Walker webcast, you'll hear from guests like A-Rod, renowned economist Dr. Peter Linneman, and experts from Walker & Dunlop's capital markets, research, and investment sales groups. So fire up the Walker webcast on your favorite podcast app, or join live on Wednesdays to see Willie interact with his guests. Plus, you can always catch the replay on demand afterward. Stay ahead of the curve with Insights for Life from the Walker webcast. Learn more and subscribe to the Walker webcast at walkerdunlop, dot com slash pockets and be sure to follow Walker and Dunlop on all your favorite social media channels too. That's walkerdunlop.com slash pockets. So do you, did you Mike, do you own, you own a mortgage company or do own a mortgage company? Correct. Is that what you... I do?
0: Okay. So you do the mortgages. You also did real estate investing at one point. Didn't you say earlier you were buying like two, you up to like 200 houses a month or something crazy like that.
2: Yeah, but that, <laughs> that would, you couldn't replicate that today. That's sure. because back then, the homes I bought average cost was eight thousand dollars. The average value was sixteen or seventeen thousand dollars. The average repairs were paint and carpet, and uh, HUD was big back on Venetian blinds back then and, and gutters. <laughs> so you could actually repair a house like that. There wasn't any big sheetrock damage or kitchen damage or that sort of thing. And that was actually before built-ins, so there wasn't any appliances to be replaced. You could repair a house like that for in, in actually two or three days. They were about 12, 1300 square feet. And FHA would take anybody who wanted to buy them. They were all for FHA foreclosures. So they had a deal where you could be in them for $100 down. So when I first started buying those houses, I'll tell you another story that's kind of interesting. I'd been buying and selling maybe five, six houses a month. And HUD came out with a program called PFOP, Public Program Package Offering, all over the country. And they put anywhere from 10 to 15 houses in the same area together. And they had a minimum bid you could bid on these properties. And let's say the minimum bid was $80,000 for 10 properties. Then you bid the minimum bid at a public auction, and anything you bid over those values, you had to put up in cash. So in other words, if a package was $80,000 and you bid $85,000, you had to take a a cashier's check the next day to HUD for $5,000 for what you bid over. They'd carry the notes up to $100,000 for six months with no interest. Wow. And you had to do repairs out of pocket. So the average repairs on these houses were about $2,000. HUD would let you make 5% commission, they would let you make 20% on the repairs, and that's about it. So they, they thought that you could make two or $3,000 a home. I could make $4,000 a home by selling them myself because a real estate company. I could also do the repairs quicker and faster than they could, you know, get them done. Cause I had a, a bunch of sub crews where maybe 15 crews work for me. That's all they did. I bought carpet 50,000 yards at a time and had the warehouse and I used the same carpet over and over and over again. Yep. You saw one of my house, you saw one, you saw them all. <laughs> They're all the same.
1: <laughs> same.
2: Well, that's true. It yeah. was a, it was a massive deal. So I, and I had been, had a lot of experience in auctions. Uh, when I was in high school, I bought a lot of furniture and antiques and stuff like that. And so I knew about how to get caught up in auction and bidding and that BS. And I would never get dragged into that thing. So, for the first four or five months, I went down in the auction every Tuesday morning, and, and they would be 300 people in this room bidding on maybe 150 homes, 200 homes, and the bidding went way too high. They, they couldn't make any money. I come on thinking, about, "Man, these people are either stupid or dumb or what the <laughs> hell? are I'm I don't know what's going on here, because they'd bid twenty, thirty thousand dollars more, which the profit in may maybe been thirty five thousand. He wants to do all that work for five thousand dollar profit? So I never bought any first four or five months. I went down there one day, and the room was crowded, tanning room only, at least 300 people there. And there were 14 houses that came up in Louisville, Texas, on the market. And I had looked at them because it was totally out of my territory. And, and nobody bid on them. It was $86,000 for 14 house. So I asked these two guys back, I said, anyone else seen them? They, they Both of them said, yeah, we've seen them. I go, what's the deal with this? They said, Mike, they're year and a half, two-year-old homes. Seven have already been completed. They've been on the market for six, eight months, and they can't sell. And I go, I'll buy them and rent it thing. So I bid $86,000 for them, it's sight unseen. So after the auction, there's a guy named Jim Cox. I don't think too late for y'all, but it's kind of a funny story, a true story. After the auction was over, Jim Cox was the property disposition manager for the Metroplex. And he said, Mr. Sanchez wants to see you upstairs. I said, who the hell is Mr. Sanchez? He said, he's a de- deputy director of eight states for HUD. He wants to talk to you about those houses you just bought. So I go upstairs, Mr. Sanchez, and he's standing there he's a very nice Hispanic guy. Had his act together, quite frankly. And he had two these two big devs who looked like they are football players standing by him. And he said, son, did you look at these houses? And I was about 22 years old. He was probably about 50 at the time. I said, no, sir. And he said, do you know what you bought? And I said, no, sir. And he said, we're going to let you out of the bid because you don't know what you're doing. I said, well, tell me why I don't know what I'm doing. He said, you bought 14 houses, seven of them have been on the market for six, eight months. We've totally repaired them. We've offered 10% commission. And no down payment, we can't sell them because right around the corner, three blocks away, they're building brand new homes that are 245S homes. And they have a dishwasher. Or yours didn't have a dishwasher. Your three bedrooms got one bath. Those three bedrooms got a bath and a half. They're, your four bedrooms got one bath. They got two full baths. And they're brand new. And they can pay them for half, what you're, for half <laughs> the interest. We subsidized interest. So you can't sell them. We put them together for the builder buy back Back where sell if the builder didn't come and buy them. So...
0: So he they, said, so we're going to let you out. That's awesome. They actually like let you out of it. I didn't want out. You wanted them anyway. I bought them. Really? No, <laughs> I did. So I drove up there
2: that afternoon. And fortunately, it, 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 it was off a major thoroughfare a highway, 35 north. And I. so you pull off the highway on Main Street. And you drive by all these huge signs and flags, and you go in these 17000 18000 homes, they look like mansions. All the furniture's undersized. They got mirrors on the walls, doors taken off, $80,000 worth of landscape on each house. And they look like, honest to God, these houses look like million-dollar homes. I mean, they were really well done by the builder. And I would known the two salesmen up there were twins from a, a Catholic high school in Dallas, I knew, from high school. And they said, Mike, go back there and tell him you give them the house back. You can't sell them. So I said, and I was just cocky as hell. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't know. Well, I was going to turn them into rent house anyway, so I didn't care one way or another. So I went and looked at them, and, and they were on Bluewood, Deerwood, and Clearwood, three blocks, and there were 14 of them. So I bought them on a Tuesday. By Sunday, a week, 10 days, the other seven homes I had painted in yards mode, and I had 14 of them on the market. So I put an ad in the paper and said, let's make a deal. And it was the Dallas Morning News Times. So I had a map drawn up there. Instead of taking them off in Main Street, which is the best way to get there, I put them off on the extra before called Fox. And I brought them in a back way. I had a map drawn up there. I, the open house was from 1 to 4. I got up there about 12 o'clock. There's 100 cars up there parked. <laughs> Honest to God. And so I said, let me open these houses up. I had little flyers for all of them. And so I opened up these houses, sold 13 of it an hour on that Sunday afternoon. <laughs> and half of my sold V8. So I go back to FHA. They want all these contracts turned in to FHA. So they thought it was a scam. Jim Cox called me on the phone and said, listen, you bought these houses 10 days ago. We couldn't sell them. You sold 13 of them in a week. What's the deal here? I go, I sold them. And he said, we're going to check all this stuff out because we don't believe this. <laughs> so a couple of days later Past, He called me on the phone and said, Mike, we checked all these things out and they're all buyers. And so Mr. Sanchez wants you to meet him. I go. I don't want to talk to you. They said, "Look, he wants to know what he just wants to deal with, me with you." So he said he wants to come down at five o'clock. And he always drank cognac in the afternoon after work, never in, in work. So he was sitting there having a con, con, cognac with his two deputies. And he said, "Mike, we want to know how you sold those because we we just can't believe you did that." And I said, "I'm not going to tell you because I didn't I I didn't know what he thought. I didn't know <laughs> if, if he thought it was deceitful, be put." In the- map up there and not taking them in the main way, taking him in a back area. I didn't know what he'd think. So he just kept on hammering me away, going, look, it's cool. We just want to know how you did it. And I finally said he had a, a blackboard in his office. I'm trying to do it out of a blackboard. He said, my God, that's ingenious. He said, I'll get back in a couple days' time. And so instead of them thinking I was shady or something, I didn't know what they'd think. I was a kid. <laughs> you know, so a couple of days later he called me and said, I want you to come talk to me again. So he said, I called Washington Bike and we're going to make you a million dollar loan to buy Bye. homes from HUD. We're so impressed with you. No interest. Six months time, you can buy all you want up to a million dollars, which at that time was probably three hundred homes, eight thousand a piece. Figured out, I don't know. Wow. And that's I saw these houses like hotcakes. So, but that was a different time and a different era. You couldn't do that right now. I don't know anybody could do that now. But that's how I did that. But that's wow. what I'm talking about. Thinking, you know, instead of sitting on your butt going, "I can't sell these
1: homes. What am I going to do?
2: <laughs> I don't know."
1: Yeah. Getting Think creative outside the box. Yeah. That's, that's really and, and, a common theme and pick up the phone and
2: call people. Yeah. That 11th commandment. I promise you not that you use an iPhone and that's not the 11th commandment I've ever read. <laughs> so, you know, just persevere, go after it, do some work, be honest with people. Don't jerk people around, you know, just do what you tell people to do.
0: I love that. So Mike, do you do, I, uh, did I read somewhere that you do storage units as well? Is
2: that yes, I don't. I build right now. I'm building about four or five homes in Dallas, anywhere from a, oh a low of a million five to high of four million dollars. But I'm not a builder. I just put money up for them. And I, I know the builders i have you with. I'm currently building three storage units. Two of them we'll just finished. I just got a contract. In fact, it's right here for one. We just got finished in April. It's thirteen and a half million dollars from CubeSmart.
0: Smart. Oh
2: wow! All cash. Again, I don't know anything about in. in what I like about Mini Warehouse, they can build a, a Mini Warehouse in seven months' time. We're building the second biggest in the United States out on a major highway here in Dallas, right across from the new State Farm location. It's got 2,800 units in it. It's, it's 1,100 feet long, 260,000 foot wow. feet. But I don't, I, I don't know about building them. I just know the guys I've invested with. I own 30 to 50% of them, depending on what money I put up. So I do that. I take notes. I carry notes for people that can't get qualified. For example, if you call me on the phone and say, listen, Mike, nobody will touch me. I've got bad credit. I was bankrupt.
1: That's what Brandon will say.
2: Yes. So here's my deal to you, Brandon. All All of your money with 25 to 35% down. All right. It's it's 11 to 13%. And it's four points. And you're going to have some skin in the game. You're going to put 25, 30, 35% equity in my deal. Sounds
0: like predatory lending to me. (laughs) <laughs> it is. It, it absolutely is. But it's legal as long as you disclose it. Yep. I'm. I, I, and if I needed it, I would pay it because it, I just- You despise the number of people do that. Yep, I put and, it and the And good deal. People, people,
2: people that maybe had a hiccup in life, they had declared bankruptcy, had a foreclosure. Doesn't mean they're bad people. It just means they had something bad happen to them. So I get enough equity in my property. And I'm not in the business foreclosing. I foreclosed one property in 25 years doing what I'm doing. Wow. I currently carry about $18 million worth of notes. They pay like a slot machine. Wow. But they have they have real equity in the property.
0: Yep.
2: And you know, as long as I I, I disclose to them, and Brandon, you probably wouldn't be this, but have somebody call me tomorrow and just say they're looking for a hard money loan in Texas. <laughs> I, first thing I tell you, okay. you don't want this loan, it's a bad loan. I'd say it's like having a baby. It's an ugly baby. If you want, I'd get you baby. <laughs> it's gonna be ugly. <laughs> Well, how do you clean up 12% and four points is a good deal. Yeah. You, know, you I, tell me how, to, how I'm going to tell somebody
0: that. You're right. You know,
2: it, it's a
1: great deal for the lender.
0: <laughs> it is a great deal for the lender. Well, it is. It is. But I take the risk on them.
2: Yep. You know, well, other lenders won't take the risk because I can tell you the essence of lending is loan to value. I'd rather loan a guy that robbed 7-Eleven for a living, 50% loan to value on a piece of property, than loan a guy that works for American Airlines with 3% down and could lose his job tomorrow, yep. and you're underwater on that damn property. Give me a break. You know, so I I do pure equity lending and the ability to repay it.
0: Well, you know, my very first loan I ever did is when I was 20, 21 years old or maybe 20, like I wanted to buy a house to flip and I had no money, no credit. No. I mean, I was making eight bucks an hour. So I went and found a hard money lender and I paid 10 points. So 10 percent like a fee of 10 10 points, 10 points and 10 percent interest. So it was a little lower interest, way higher fees. And it was crazy, but I got the deal done. You know, like, it was insane. I would never you know, the 10 points. You know, today.
2: Texas, before they changed the usually laws, when rates were 14 or 15% nationwide, I've actually done FHA loans, when I don't know more. It's going to be 17%. Oh, wow. You know the discount points to make a loan in Texas on FHA were 17 points? Wow.
1: The discount points?
2: FHA was paying 17 points because they couldn't charge more than 10% in Texas until they changed the usually law. Oh, wow. In other words, lenders were going to make it up in points to make up the yield. Yep. Why would you loan money in Texas at 10% when you can loan yep. the money in New Mexico or Oklahoma at 15%? <laughs> so they, they, they charge points to make up the, the yield spread so they were the same. So I've seen all that sort of thing. And I, I will say this, too. For everybody to think, well, God, I'd rather pay 5%. B.S. That's not true. Let me tell you something. When people were this is an absolute fact, when rates were 12 to 15%, probably was going up 25 to 30% a year all over the country. Now rates are 45 to 5%. They go up maybe 4 or 5% all over the country. So would you rather have the property going up? Would you rather pay twice the interest and have the property triple in, in yeah. value or have a, a lower interest rate and go up a little bit? It's all relatives, all I'm saying.
0: That makes sense. So uh, that actually brings up an interesting point. You've been in this game a long time. You've seen a lot of boom and bust cycles that like going up and down over the years. Where I've f- been involved in media. So where do you feel we are right now? Like, where do you see ourselves now? And what, you know, like, what do you expect for the future?
2: You know, I'm concerned about it. And and trust me, I, this is not what I've read in a book or anything. It's just my own observation. I personally think the government's spending way too much money. I think that that people that the uh, average American doesn't give a damn about it because they haven't hit them in the butt yet. Yep. But it will. All you have to do is look at Greece and Italy and France. What's happened over there? It's a it's a blueprint. Of what's going to happen here? You can't keep on spending money. More people are paying no taxes. Fifty percent of the United States doesn't pay any tax now, and they actually get a tax rebate on the earned income. You know, I think the world is so unstable right now all over the world. There's riots everywhere, food shortages, repressive governments, religious battles going all over. Hell's half acre. I think the immigration around the world is is I think that there's way too much of that stuff going on. I think that the economy is pretty strong, but I don't really trust it a whole lot. I don't I don't know. You'd have to, I think the economy is going to hold for the next two years. I don't know after that. But it just scares me to see the amount of college debt we have. You know, and, and people don't want to pay it back. It scares me to, yeah. to, that Congress doesn't have a clue what the hell they're doing. They don't <laughs> mind spending. They don't. Yeah, I agree. I mean, It's really hard to argue government. with
1: that statement. <laughs> I mean, they couldn't
2: run a damn thing. They can't run the government. I mean, and it's not just Democrats or Republicans. It's all of them. They don't give a damn about the country. By opinion. All they care about is getting reelected, in my opinion.
1: Preach. There are, yes, there
2: are, so true. There are some good ones up there. It's like student loans. If you all want to get on something else— I don't believe in student loans. I believe they should make student loans, but not the way they make them. I think that you, if you're getting a student loan, that if, look, let's face it. These college students go to work, go to school 12 to 15 hours a week. Yep. It's not exactly <laughs> a big load. So if they want a student loan, here's the deal. You have to make your grades. In other words, if you flunk for one semester, you're not getting a student loan. The next semester, you bring your grades up. Second of all, if you want a loan from the government, And you're taking 12 hours. You're going to have to do 12 hours with work. Either get a job, a part time job for 12 hours. If you can't find a job, you're going down to school and you're going to go to libraries. You're going to go to hospitals. You're going to go to grade schools, high schools and teach kids how to read. So if you take 12 hours, you're going to work 12 hours. If you can't find a job, we're going to put you to work.
0: You know, it's funny when I, when I went to college, I, you know, the average was like 12 to 15 credits people would take per semester. I took 25 to 28 every semester, worked a full-time job 40 hours a week and donated plasma for gas money. Like, because and I had I think to, had more fun. I, it was, like, I think it, was a, fun. it was a good experience. Like the same thing. I, I, mean, I, I took 15 hours a semester. And I worked the whole time through. I went through yep. Monday, Wednesday
2: and Friday from eight in the morning till 12. and never spent a day at college. I commuted to North Texas State University. And I had more money in my pocket. I worked and made money and I was a little hustler. I yeah. mean, I loved it. I loved the action. But no, I don't I don't I don't think there's any free rise in, this, in the world. And I think they're making it too easy for students to get those loans They don't ever intend to pay them back. And I think they're burdening students unfairly with debt. I think a lot of these students have never worked a day in life, they have no clue what they're getting. They're getting a, a lot of them are getting worthless degrees.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah I totally so. agree. Yeah.
1: That's my degree's in fashion design. Is it really? You want to talk about the most worthless degree on the planet?
0: Well, if you you can make a lot of money doing that. <laughs> well, mine was in
2: history. That sounded condescending, but that's not <laughs> the way it,
1: No, no, I didn't take it that way. There's like nine famous fashion designers, and the schools are filled with students, and they're getting student loans, and they're racking up all this debt. And there's no jobs in the fashion industry. Not to not to be a fashion designer.
2: There's like people tell the kids that. Do do the kids even care? That's what I wonder
0: about. I
1: don't. I don't don't know. I I think they get this in their head that they're going to be famous and they're going to be amazing.
0: Well, and I think they're hearing they're they're hearing from back here. Yeah. Well, I think they're hearing from their parents, right? So our parents' generation or, you know, your generation, Mike, like if you went to college, it usually guaranteed a pretty good job because not many people went to college. So now when I was growing up, my dad's like, you have to go to college. You have no choice. So I went to college, right? But that's different today. Like, I feel like you don't, Like, just because you go to college doesn't guarantee you a job, but people are trained, kids are trained that way from their parents who believe that. And so I I think it's going to be the next generation that's going to be like, like, I'm not going to tell my daughter to go to college. Like, Rosie, if she wants to go to college, great. You know, her real estate's going to pay for it. I've already bought her a property that'll pay for it, but like, I hope she doesn't in a way. Like, I'm like, I hope she comes up with something else instead, like an entrepreneur idea or something, you know? I don't know.
2: Well, in my particular scenario, I got a marketing degree, but it's, it's worthless what I do.
0: Yeah.
2: I, I could be doing what I'm. And in fact, I wasted some I did waste time in college. I wouldn't say that. But if I had my choice to do it over again, I'd rather spend the time in production. And trust me, you know, I, I'm successful, but I've had my ups and downs. I've been busted lots of times in my lifetime. I've always paid the banks back and paid people back. But it takes a lot of luck, a lot of time and that sort of thing. So, but, you know, I, I it never it never bothered me. If I lost whatever I, whatever money I accumulated, I would to start over again. It, it had that ability in myself to know I could always make it no matter what. Okay, I yes. actually think you could open up, a, 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 say, look, my come <laughs> up here to uh, Colorado and open a <laughs> stock on stand. I guarantee it within two weeks time, there'd be a line at that damn stock on stand. I don't <laughs> know what I'd do to make, but I'd make it work.
0: That's just <laughs> the way I am. Yep. I agree. I think like, there's certain like people that are going to be <laughs> successful no matter what. And, I don't know. Mike, like, man, we could talk forever, but we're at an hour. So I'm going to start transitioning us over to the next segment of our show, which we lovingly refer to as our fire round.
1: Fire round. It's time for the fire round. The
0: fire round are questions that our community have asked in the forums. People are asking for help. And so these are just kind of specific questions that we pull from our community. Uh, Let's see. How about this one? I'm new to real estate investing and I'm wanting to be an unseen owner, meaning I'll be working with a real estate team to find and purchase properties. But I want to turn over the management to somebody else. Is it worth it or doing it? Do I have to manage my properties or can I have a company do it?
2: I would say it depends on the individual. Uh, I do think management companies have a big place in the, in the, the managing properties. And they have more facilities. For example, they have their ability to run credit on people who want to buy it. They, they handle all the problems. But if I were starting out with new, I, I don't think I'd let a management company in it because it's too expensive. Most management companies you want 8 to 10%. Yeah. And it's too much to give up if you're a starter now, if you're a newbie in it. If you're a, a seasoned pro and you can afford it and you got the cash flow, it's okay because it's a lot less hassle. I can tell you that. But I think if I were starting out, I would probably manage my own properties and, and for a couple of reasons. Not only because I I couldn't afford the money, the cost of management, but the other reason I'd want to find out what the hell is going on in the real world. It's like I said a while ago, you know, going to boot camp where they're shooting blanks at you and going to war where they're shooting real bullets is a whole lot different. You know, so (laughs) I'd rather have the experience of of managing two or three properties and then maybe turn them over to manage company myself. Yep.
1: So a couple of weeks ago, we had a podcast guest who said something like, do it once, do everything at least once. Gabe De Silva from episode two hundred and fifty nine, two hundred fifty eight. Eight, I think. We're on two fifty nine. Yeah, right. Yes, or maybe the last I think
2: week. that's. I think that's a good idea. You know, at least have some experience, in it. and that way you know if they're jabbing you're not jabbing you. You know, it's not. I like management. because I used to own a big one, but from from my perspective, I, I would I'd learn from the ground up. I agree with Mister De Silva.
1: Okay. Right. Yeah, I do too. Uh, All right, next one. Okay. My question for you all is, if there's a way for me to get started with little money to invest, can anyone who has done this give any insight for me? I've read several forums and books on this subject. However, I am a little apprehensive about getting started with little money invested. I just feel like I would be constantly turned down. How can I combat this feeling?
2: That is a tough question because generally speaking, you're going to have to put some money in, in to make money. However, there are other, other avenues. And one of the things that, that Brandon and I were talking about earlier is hard money lending when he got started where he paid 10 points. Yeah, And he may have he may have not liked it, but it was a way to get started. So a lot of these investment companies that are making these hard money loans charge a higher rate and more points, but they'll do a deal where it's based on the loan to value and based on their pairs you're doing. So you may be able to get in one of those for 5 or 10%. Brandon, what's it typically cost to do these days? I don't know.
0: For, meaning for? A predatory lending. Yeah, I mean I see you, a lot you of You can like, actually buy a four. house with no money in it. Correct. Correct? You you probably could if they're with the right lender, but most of them I always see they want a little bit in into the game, at least ten percent.
2: Yeah, what, five or ten percent? Yeah. Yeah. Uh but there are lenders here in Dallas. I don't know about Colorado or, or where, where you are, Mindy, but they actually uh will loan you hundred percent if there's enough equity in the property they think the repairs can be handled. Yeah. And that's the way to get done. It's the expensive way to go, but it's a way to get started. Yep. And yeah, for me, I'd, I'd look to put more money down to have enough money to put it down. So we can really start getting better rates of interest because I think people paying predatory lending give the uh, predatory lenders a third to half of their profit is what I think.
0: Yeah, there's been, been actually yeah. there's been several flips that I've done where at the end of the flip, I look at it and go, I made less money than my lender did. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm in the wrong right. business. <laughs> that, that's, that's, my,
2: that's my issue. With yep. Although I would, if that was my only alternative. Yep. You know, I, I would I would take
0: it. You know I always say like, 50% of a great deal is still better than 100% of no deal, right? No deal. Like, I I'd rather I'd rather give somebody else. Yeah. That's why I look I look at partnerships and look learn. at all that stuff. Yep. And you learn. And Brandon, you learn from it. Yep. Yeah, I don't regret the 10 points I paid on those deals. I mean like or on the first couple of deals I did cuz whatever, I learned. I gained the experience. like the first few deals, I would say this too and this sounds bad, but like the first few deals you do don't really matter. Like you don't want to like lose money on them and go bankrupt, but like Generally speaking, nobody's getting rich off one or two deals. It's the lessons you learn on those early deals that get you to deal number four yeah. and five, which gets you to deal 20, which gets you to deal hundred. And that's how you build a lifetime of success is, is learning. You
2: know, in all the homes I've ever done in my lifetime, I don't think, and I've done homes up to flip homes, maybe up to a million dollars. I don't think I've ever made more than a hundred thousand dollars on any home. Yeah. And even the bigger homes I probably made, if I was lucky to make $56,000 on, it was a lot bigger risk. There's just not the home runs people think there are that these books say there are. I don't, I, I don't see them. I mean, my deals were quick in, quick out, and maybe four or five thousand dollars profit. Now we're talking a long time ago, yeah. so it'd be the equivalent of maybe ten, 000, twelve thousand dollars a day or fifteen thousand dollars a day. But my deal was in and out quick and, and turn them. Yep. I'd, yeah. I'd rather I'd rather own a McDonald's hamburger stop, a hamburger place that's turning out five thousand hamburgers a day than own a a twelve dollar let out 300 hamburgers a day. The money's where the volume is. And that's kind of always what I believed in.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. You know, I, my, my average flips are like 15 grand, 20 grand. Like I feel pretty good that's about good. any 20 grand. Uh, we interviewed a guy. Yeah. Last week, he, he, he's doing a different, like he's basically building, he's a uh, tear, you know, tearing off the tops, putting on new levels, doubling the square footage. Yeah. And now he's making hundred grand, but that's a, that's a whole different business model. That's, you know, it's, it's basically, you know, that's something we did
2: talk about. But if you got the money, that's a good way to start. Go in a neighborhood that, that's that's hot, mm-hmm. and you can find a little home that you can add a thousand square foot to it. Yeah. You know, and use maybe the same footprint of, and just take it up. Yep. Yeah. And I, I know people are doing that and they're, they're making more money than flip people. And you're right. In yep. certain areas in Dallas, they take these houses and maybe spend $150,000 on remodeling and make $100,000 yep.
0: on the Yep. BMO. That's exactly uh, what last week's episode was on. Exactly that. It's good money in it. Yeah. yeah. I hadn't thought about that, but that what you just said is very true. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I've done that. I live in my flips. So oh, yeah. I'm. I'm uh, not paying any taxes on it because I lived there for two years. I'm avoiding my capital uh, – what is it? Deferring capital gains? No, yeah. Avoid avoiding it. Yeah, avoiding it. Avoiding it. Tax it. avoidance. Saying um, thing
2: the government. Well, no, as long as you live there two years and so you yeah. don't make more than $200,000, you are married, you can make up to 500000 on it.
1: Yep. yep. And I, I've never made 500000 but we've made 100000 a couple of times.
2: <laughs> yeah, awesome. but, but see, you can do a 1031 tax. But I'm living tax. in it. Yeah, but you can do a 1031 tax exchange on that too.
1: Uh, not if you're living in it. I'm you doing can't. the Section 121. No, you, to be a 1031, you have to have purchased it with the intention of making it a an investment. Oh, look at you, Mindy. And Oh, well, but wait a second. Would a live-in flip be an investment? I don't
0: know. It's
1: also my primary residence. I don't, I don't know. know. Either way, I think the one thirty the 121 is better than the 1031 because then I'm just completely not paying taxes that, at yeah, all. Yeah, all. All you're doing like is 1031 is, is deferring taxes.
2: You're not, you're not yeah. avoiding them. You just deferring them.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'd I'm, rather avoid them right. than defer them. Good point.
0: Yeah, I'm doing good my point. first 10:31 one right now, and it's uh, it's it's fun. It's good. I got tell, my property. Tell Mike
1: how uh, how far in advance you got that property under contract, <laughs> Brandy.
0: <laughs> like four. You know how they give you 45 days? I got the I got my property four hours before my deadline. Yeah, they're
2: 45 days. Yeah, no,
0: nominate. Yeah, so I nominated four hours before I got it under contract. Four hours before before the deadline. So I made it. But you know, I went down did, to the. Did you, but did you? Did you overpay to make the deadline though? I did not overpay. I actually think I got a pretty good deal. Good. Yeah. Good for you. But good for you. It, there that's the danger of a 1031 is it's very easy to overpay cuz you're scared and you're Yeah, cuz you are yeah because you are trying
2: to get the money out of the 1031 yep. exchange and you only got and what do you they have 6 days to close or 9 days to close
0: after the 45 yeah, day nomination. Some, yeah, it's a bunch. Of, I think it's I didn't be 180 days total. I, I do not remember. remember.
1: I think it's yeah. 180 days total.
0: Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Cool. All I, right. I don't remember I've done them for a long time. Yeah. All right, what's your next? Session? All right, number three. I'm scared and I'm in paralysis by analysis. I can't seem to pull the trigger. What can help me move forward? Load the gun with real bullets. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> can you? Explain? I mean, who in the hell can answer a question like that? If you're scared, you don't need to be in this game. This is not. It, it doesn't take a lot of guts, it, but it, it takes a little bravery at times yeah. and a little leap of faith. And if, if you're really concerned that much, I'd stay out of it. I really would.
1: Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's I, a really good point.
0: Yeah. I, if you're, if you're too afraid to do it, like they don't do it. There's lots of ways to make money in the world. You know, yeah. yeah, you're
2: you're You know, it, it's wor- like, if you're worried about everything, eliminate the things, that worry. you. I don't know what, to- look, you probably don't believe this about me with this. If this boss was on fire right now, we'd finish this conversation. <laughs> <gotta walk out laughs> right out here. I totally I believe would. that. <laughs> Screw it. I mean, what the hell? You don't strike I mean, me as a guy play. who
0: is afraid very often, Mike. I don't know. You don't.
2: Well, I don't. You know, I lose my share. Of, look, I do a lot of different. I do four or five major deals a month, and I hit on most of. But the ones I lose on, I lose. I, I, I can lose a substantial amount of money, but it doesn't bother me because it's it's the nature of the beast. So if I played the game, you can't play with scared money. You really can't. It's like playing poker or do- anything you play with. If you play with scared money, you're scared to lose it. You shouldn't be playing the game. So, Very good. I've never been scared to do anything in my life. And every, I've never gone into a deal that I thought was going to be bad or I wouldn't have gone into it. But I've been in plenty of deals that went bad because I didn't do my homework. I was in, in bed with crooks or missed the market or just plain stupid. I don't know which of the four, but it was what <laughs> fall in some of those categories.
0: There you go. All right, Mindy, last one of the fire round. You take it.
1: Okay, Mike, are there any rules of thumb you use to determine if you should buy a property?
2: Well, if it makes sense and you got the money and can get the financing, why wouldn't you buy it? It's got to
1: oh, make what? sense. How does it make sense?
2: Well, it has to make a profit—either cash flow, appreciation, or flipping the house and making a profit.
0: Is there a number? It, is there a number that you would like you you want to make this much cash flow or this much profit? Like, is there minimums that you have in your head
2: on rental on rental property? No, it's not. I, I I bought some houses that were in better neighborhoods that actually lost money on rental, but I made it up on appreciation because I'd rather have a house. It, it goes up 10 or 12% a year. And so you pay $300,000 for it. It's going up thirty five, forty thousand dollars 40000 a year. So you hold it and move, say, $5,000 cash flow, you still got a seventy five to $80,000 cushion it to sell it. That doesn't mean that's what you're going to make from it because you got expenses and all that crap. Yeah. You got to pay filters. But uh And then from a cash flow point of view, if again, if, if I were going purely for cash flow, I'd buy less expensive homes because they rent for a lot more, dollars than you can get for a more expensive homes. But there, there's what we're talking about the earlier the show, you've got to define what your goals are. If your goals are appreciation in retirement, it's one thing you're doing. If they're cash flow, it's another thing you're doing because you're buying a totally different type of property if it's for retirement and 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 getting paid off quick versus cash flow where you're looking for cash to live on or to reinvest and that sort of thing. That's a, That demands. And that's why I say starting out with a goal if you're an obvious investor is imperative you sit down and figure out what your goal is. You can't, for example, you can't go for appreciation. You can't go for rental income and you can't go for flips all the same time. You need to narrow your field, what you're going to specialize in and do it. Well, I'm not saying you can't do all three of them because I've done all three, but it's not it's not easy to do. So just define what you're trying to do, in in my opinion.
0: I like it. I like it. All right. Moving on to the last segment of the show, which we lovingly refer to as our famous for. I, right, these are the same four questions we ask every guest every week. And we're going to throw them at you. Number one, Mike, what is your favorite real estate related book? If you have one. I don't have one. All right. Uh, what about your life? I
2: don't have one. Yeah. Good. Uh, good. Rich dad, poor dad was, <laughs> uh, Rich dad, poor dad was a pretty good book, All right, yeah. but I don't, I don't believe in a lot of stuff they say in those books because it, it, it's fine in theory, yep. but it just doesn't work in a practical balance. And y'all know that. Yep.
3: You got to get I out mean, there. No, you got to get out and do, no,
2: do it. You got to get out there and do it. So you know what I'm talking about.
1: Yeah.
0: There you go. Cool. Number 2.
1: What is your favorite business book?
2: I don't have a clue. No, I'm right. really
0: don't I really do not I don't read those kind of books. Okay. I read I read novels. I read them for enjoyment. Well, how about this then? What's your favorite What's your favorite Just, what, what have you been reading lately? Like what's your what's your something that you've read? It could be book, resource, magazine, whatever. What do you what you've been reading? Oh,
2: I like I like James Patterson and I like Robert Ludlum. I like okay. uh you know, and I was like that. I'm trying to think of the author. I, I read a lot of books. What I do is I go to the bookstore every two or three weeks, and I buy bestsellers, novels, mm-hmm. and they're generally on sale for 6.98. I buy 15 or 20 of them, and I'll probably read maybe not every two weeks, but but once a month, and I read maybe five, six, seven books a month, eight books, and I, I read because I almost any bestseller. I always buy bestsellers, and they're always pretty good books. I buy novels, fiction, spy
0: detective that sort of thing did you read um john grisham's new one the rooster bar i did i just got finished with it okay yeah because that reminded me of the conversation we okay. had right earlier about student loans yeah about student loans. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, Don't that was ruin a, it. There's a lot of i won't ruin it that.
2: it is such I Don't a good guy I, I, I thought those guys were pretty cool but yeah. what i couldn't figure <laughs> out in that book is why in the hell they paid off their student loans <laughs> <laughs> that's that,
0: what's that she, she doesn't want, it she me. hasn't read it. She doesn't want to hear it.
1: I'm oh, <laughs>
0: no! I, I'll, I'll just
1: take off my headphones.
0: That's funny. Do you guys
1: talk. No, that no that's kind gonna...
0: of book. I, that, that's kind of book I read
2: in in two days' time.
0: Yeah, I, I did it too. Actually, fun. it is fun. Yeah, I, that was probably my f- read, favorite. Favorite. Stuart Woods books. Which ones? Stuart Woods. Uh-uh.
2: He's he's good. Tom Hanks good. Yeah. yeah, pick up some. Stuart Woods books. He's, he's, right. He writes about a character named Stoneberry and a, a New York attorney. They're really good books. They're fun, fast, and easy to
0: read. Cool. I'll check it out. All, All right. right. Well, good deal. Um, First, next one, Mindy.
1: What are your hobbies, Mike?
0: Playing cards, traveling, spending
2: time oh, what with What kind my of cards? Blackjack and poker. And then I like to play.
1: Uh,
2: I used to be a really good bridge player. I, I love to play bridge, but there's not many people around that, that could play worth a damn that I know. I'm but, learning. Like, are you? I like to travel. I'm you, learning.
1: It is a tough game. There's a lot of rules.
2: <laughs> it's the only game I could sit down and play bridge 24-7 and not ever bet a dime on. It's the only game I could play without money. because It's brain against brain. That's it's cool. cunning against cunning. Well, Mike, it's you're going to have to teach me someday.
0: I'm going to come down to your area. Where you in Dallas? You're in, yeah, We're in, in Dallas, either one, <laughs> either, either one of y'all. I'd love to That's awesome. entertain you. And where do you travel to? Where's your favorite place in the world to go? We like my favorite place is China.
3: Oh,
0: never been.
2: I like that. It's uh, action. Everybody's on the hustle. Everybody. I mean, when I was over there, they called me a street payers delight because I love screwing with those people. <laughs> I have kept my hat, but I like the hustle. I like the atmosphere of it. I like the fact that they're all working. Uh, it's a very clean country. It's, uh, I mean, and you think New York's modern, Shanghai, they, they, they're so much New stuff over in China. It's really a really cool place. I like Africa. I like Europe. I like all, I've never been to a place I wouldn't go back. Let me put it that way.
0: Yeah. That's, I here, love traveling. Here. All right. My last question of the day, Mike, what do you believe sets apart the successful investors out there from all those who give up or they fail or this never get started? They never pull the trigger. What separates the successful ones? I'd say one word perseverance, not ever giving up. If you have a setback, just pick
2: yourself up and charge again. Keep on charging because you'll eventually break the break the barrier. But if you if you have a bad experience starting out with, don't let that – because a lot of fortune in the United States, I would bet more fortune have been made through real estate than any other thing. I don't know that to be a fact, but I would bet that. So just don't give up. I mean, this and just because you get busted once or twice, that doesn't mean you should give up on it. So I'd say perseverance and keep on charging.
0: Very cool. Very cool. Well, that's awesome.
1: That's a great Kay. answer, Mike. Uh, where can people find out more about you?
0: I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> they, can, they can listen to the podcast again. <laughs> Wait, you're, well, not, you're a, not on Twitter? Come on, Mike.
2: <laughs> uh, Hold on, I've I'm, got this. No, no, just go to RelianceMortgage.com in Texas. What is it? That's Reliance, R-E-L-I-A-N-C, Mortgage com. Reliance Mortgage.
1: RelianceMortgage.com.
2: Right. And I only do loans in Texas because uh, somebody else put, mentioned me on a podcast. I was getting calls from all over the country and I don't mind taking them out. I, I, you can call me. I'll give you advice in that area. But I can't make loans in in, yep. in, in you know, the state of Texas.
0: No, Okay. So Did they know? I primarily um, do it in Texas.
1: And according to Cody, you also are Reliance Mortgage on Facebook and Reliance Mortgage on Twitter. Oh, you oh, are, my Twitter. <laughs> but, no, you you are
0: on Twitter. You are on Twitter. My kids do that for me.
3: Nice,
0: nice. <laughs> my little My loyal kids. That's awesome. Well, Mike, thank you so much. This has been super,
3: super. I like y'all's attitude. I
2: will say this because you you, you both know what you're talking about, which is refreshing. Well, well, Mindy,
0: Mindy does. I make, I make.
1: Yeah, Brandon's only nine. Uh, (laughs)
2: Yeah, well, I don't care.
0: Y'all are very good at what you do. I appreciate it. Well, thank you, Mike. We'll see you definitely around soon. All right, Merry Christmas, guys. Hey, you too.
1: Okay, Merry Christmas, Mike. Bye, bye. Bye. Uh,
0: All right. Big thanks to Mike. That was awesome, man. I'm glad you you pushed me to get Mike on the show, Mindy. You've been telling me about him for a while. That, that was fun.
1: I love Mike. And Tim Shiner sent him our way. I love Tim Shiner too. Yes. Tim is just a really great guy. He also introduced us to Josh Randall from episode 242. Tim is just uh, a, from, a little networker, isn't he? Apparently Tim knows everybody. Apparently.
0: Now that was a good show. I, I love like just hearing the perspective from people who have not, I you know, like, like I'm going to be honest, like I've only been investing now for 10 years. Like that sounds like a long time in my head, but in reality, what have I seen? Like one up and one down in the market cycle. This guy's probably seen like 20 of them, right? Like I just, I love that perspective of like the, the big picture of like what real estate looks like over a lifetime, not just, you know, an up and down. So. Like
1: well, that. and I like the basic information that he gives that, you know, you might not hear because you're trying to do all these new strategies. Uh, what did he say? Uh, call them. Keep calling them. Yeah. He called that that woman Evelyn
0: yeah. <laughs> every
1: single Friday.
0: Yep.
1: Perseverance. Yep. His answer to the uh, to the famous question, four? how do yeah. you Yeah, the famous four?
0: Yeah, what's that people
1: Perseverance. Yeah, yep. you know what? That's how you do it. That's how you, you do it. You just keep pushing through.
0: I love it. Very, very cool. Yeah. And very neat strategy with the calling people, you know, just to to give one little quick tip here at the end, quick tip. Uh, And I say this a lot of times on these webinars that we do every week where I'll suggest like go to Craigslist. I mean, like he's not going to know what Craigslist is, I doubt. But like if you go to Craigslist (laughs) and like go to the rental section and find some of these houses that are for rent. I mean, the landlords that are like the mom and pop landlords that are listing their properties for rent, like they give you their phone number in the ad. Like could life get any easier? Like leads getting easier and put them in your little, what did he say? Red notebook, yellow notebook, whatever he had. And then every Friday, why don't you call that landlord and just say, hey, just want to know if you're interested in selling yet, right? Build, or, or even even if you didn't do it every week, what if you did it every month? What if you just built relationships? I mean, if you had 100, think of this way. If you had 100 people on your list that were landlords in your area, how many of them every year might want to sell their property? Maybe 10%, maybe 20%, right? Like people sell all the time. So if you're the guy that consistently month after month contacts those people, you know, you're going to be the guy that go do you because you're going to build relationships. They're going to want to sell to you because you've been persistent. So anyway, a little quick tip for yes. right you there.
1: And did you, did you hear him say it doesn't cause cancer to pick up the phone and yes, call them?
0: It could actually, <laughs> with cell phones, it, well, but you know,
1: <laughs> not on his cell phone. He's yeah, not on phone. his phone.
0: <laughs> yeah. I was say, he's got like the old, like rotary on the wall. It's like spinning the dial around. Yes.
1: Yeah. With the giant cord. Yes.
0: running. Um, yeah. <laughs> i remember like that's one of my earliest memories of my mom like taking like the 90 foot cord through like every room of the house you know like to get away from the kids yelling yeah anyway (laughs) (laughs) all right let's get out of here mindy
1: okay brandon thanks for letting me step into josh's shoes i appreciate it
0: should be fun we should have josh it was fun and we should have josh back next week i think so
1: uh, yes, uh, we will have Josh back next week.
0: Good. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for being a part of the Bigger Pockets podcast this week and listening to us ramble for an hour and a half with a really, really smart old investor. <laughs> don't tell him I said that.
1: <laughs> Happy New Year, Brandon.
0: All right. Happy New Year, Mindy. And Happy New Year, everybody. Thanks so much. And don't forget to rate and review us and listen to Mindy and Scott's new Bigger Pockets Money podcast. See you next week.
1: Okay. This is Mindy Jensen signing off. Is that what <laughs> Brandon says or Josh?
0: That's what Josh Wait, says. Who are you?